Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap. Today's Tuesday, January 19th. Stocks are up. The Trump presidency is down to the wire. And we're focused on Joe Biden's first major foreign policy test. For the past several months, Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has been in Germany, recovering from an assassination attempt via nerve agent, which Navalny pins on Vladimir Putin. Then, last week, he announced his intentions to return home, soon boarding a plane from Berlin to Moscow. Now, that flight was diverted from one Moscow airport to another, and Navalny was promptly detained upon touchdown. As of Sunday, no one seemed to know where he was. Then, yesterday, Navalny appeared inside a makeshift courtroom inside a Moscow police station, where a judge ordered him to be held for the next 30 days. Navalny then taped a video message to supporters, telling them to take to the streets in protest. Inside of Russia, state media is portraying Navalny as an insurrectionist. But to most outside observers, he appears to be a political prisoner and possibly the first major flashpoint in the relationship between Russia and the incoming Biden administration. Already, Joe Biden's expected national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, has publicly sided with Navalny. But neither Sullivan nor Biden have said what they plan to do about the situation, nor if it'll impact a February 5th deadline to renew a major arms control treaty between the two countries. So we want to go deeper with Bill Browder, an investor who has his own history of running afoul of Vladimir Putin, culminating in the passage of anti-Russia sanctions known as the Magnitsky Act. So, Bill, can we just start to give listeners an understanding of you and your experience with Russia, with Putin? Kind of what, in a nutshell, provoked the anger of the Russian government toward you, leading you to push for these anti-Russia sanctions years later? I was the largest foreign investor in Russia running a, an investment fund called the Hermitage Fund um, in the 1990s, going into the year 2000s. And um, I discovered high-level government corruption in companies like Gazprom, the biggest gas company, and Sparebank, their national savings bank. I exposed that corruption in order to try to get the share price up. And, but in doing so, I also upset some of the people most close to Putin. And in retaliation, I was expelled from the country in 2005 and declared a threat to national security. My offices were raided in 2007 in Moscow. I had a young lawyer working for me named Sergei Magnitsky, who helped me investigate the reason for the office raid. And he discovered that during the raid, they seized a certain number of documents, official documents that, that we had, and they used those documents to steal our investment holding companies, and then use those investment holding companies to steal $230 million of taxes that we paid to the Russian government. And he exposed the theft, testified against the officials involved, and he was subsequently arrested by those same officials, put in pretrial detention, tortured for 358 days, and killed at the age of 37 on November 16, 2009. Bill, when you heard that Alexei Navalny was going to return to Russia, your first thought was what? Now, my first thought was, this is an incredibly brave and heroic man. I know what happens to enemies of the Putin regime, and, and we all know that Alexei Navalny is an enemy of the Putin regime, probably his single greatest domestic enemy. They tried killing Alexei Navalny, and so for him to go back to the country where they poisoned him 
with military-grade chemical weapons to try to kill him seemed to me to be an act of absolute sort of uncalculable heroism that for him, his principles, his, his patriotism, his desire to make Russia a better place was greater than his own um, efforts to preserve his life. You've obviously done a lot outside of Russia to kind of be a thorn in Putin's side. Why, from your perspective, was it important for Navalny to return to the country as opposed to continuing to agitate from outside? I can't apply my own values to him. So why was it important to him to return? From his perspective, he, he is genuinely the most popular politician in Russia. He, he has captured the hearts and minds of everybody under the age of 35. He's exposing corruption. He's using technology to expose corruption. He's relating to young people in a way that, that Putin has no chance of relating to them. And he has a real chance. If Russia ever had a democracy of any sort, he would be president of Russia. And even if it doesn't have a democracy, if at some point um, the Putin regime is overthrown, he would be the natural leader. And he believes that that's his calling, that's his mission. And he had two choices. He could either live in exile, in which case his political significance would diminish, um, or he could go back and challenge the regime. And nobody in the West can understand it. And, and certainly it's hard to understand when we look at the politicians that we're faced with in the United States and Europe, who are all so worried about their careers, they're not even willing to like speak up in the most moderate way against bad things that are happening. And here's a guy who's ready to risk his life and ready to risk his freedom for his own principles. It's something that, that we just can't, we, we haven't seen um, any type of behavior like this in our lives. Bill, we're about 24 hours away from a change in power in the United States and a, and a new president coming in. So far, Jake Sullivan of the Biden administration has you know, said that this is a, an act of cowardice, et cetera. From a tangible perspective, what do you think the incoming administration should and can do about Navalny's detention? Well, there's one very simple thing that they can do, which, which is something that is now sort of well-developed in U.S. law and U.S. policy, which is to take the Magnitsky Act, the legislation named after my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, which imposes visa sanctions and asset freezes on human rights violators, and apply the Magnitsky Act specifically to Putin and people in his regime. And when I say people in his regime, I don't mean low-level people in his regime. I mean the people who look after his money, the oligarch trustees of his regime. And if, that is, if that's to be done, that would have a real and dramatic effect on Vladimir Putin that would probably protect Alexei Navalny, and it would send a message to the Russians that we're not messing around anymore. Do you believe that will happen? In this particular situation, I believe that that's going to happen. And the reason I believe it is that the moment after Navalny was arrested, after he landed, after he was arrested, as you mentioned, Jake Sullivan tweeted out that statement in support of Navalny. The head of the European Commission tweeted out a statement. The foreign minister of Finland, the foreign minister of France, the foreign minister of Bulgaria, the foreign minister of the UK, the foreign minister of Canada, everybody all in unison said the same thing, that this is outrageous. He should be released immediately. This is a political persecution. And the reason why I think they're going to act now is because everybody had a chance to get to know Alexei Navalny five months ago when the Russians used Novichok, a chemical weapon, to try to kill him. He was literally within inches of his life. He was in coma for three weeks. And so everybody had a chance to get to know him, to pray for him, to wish for him. 
And all of a sudden he recovered and everybody believes in him in the West. And so anything that happens to him now, including this unjust arrest, will lead to repercussions. And I'm, and I'm certain that there will be a coordinated international response and something hopefully touching the real power players, the people with the money in Russia. Final question for you. If that were to happen, and I guess I'm asking you to put yourself in Putin's head, what does he do? Do you really foresee him just saying, you know what? These are new sanctions. This is a problem. Alexei, go live your life. No, but um, uh, he's probably going to end up being a hostage for a long time. But let's say that, that, that they make a list of 50 oligarch trustees that they could sanction, and they sanction 10 of them. And Putin knows, and everybody else knows that there's another 40 to go. He's not going to touch Alexei Navalny further. Alexei will be protected in terms of his life. If Putin sees that there's no response, that there's no real cost to doing it, he'll kill Alexei Navalny. Bill Browder, whose book about his experiences in Russia is called Red Notice, which is an outstanding book. Bill Browder, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the Senate confirmation hearing for Janet Yellen, the former Federal Reserve chair who was nominated by Joe Biden to become the country's next Treasury secretary. Her prepared testimony's basic message was that even more stimulus is needed to avoid a protracted recession, arguing that the present danger outweighs future national debt concerns. And she held her ground on that, even when challenged repeatedly by Republican senators. Also on tap today, just for situational awareness, are Senate hearings for Biden's nominees for Secretary of State, Defense Secretary, DHS, and Director of National Intelligence. What we're also watching is a small but growing list of companies that will pay employees for time spent getting vaccinated. The first to do it was Dollar General, followed by Trader Joe's, and then Instacart. Now, each policy is a little bit different and on a sliding scale of generosity, but expect lots of other companies to follow their lead, or maybe do say what Target is doing, which is saying we're not going to pay people to get vaccinated, but we're going to vaccinate all of our employees through in-store pharmacies. Particularly expect to see this in the essential services sector where vaccines may be available earlier than for the general population. And finally today, we are watching TikTok because it looks like it's going to outlast the Trump administration. What no one seems to know, though, is Biden's position on the company, including if he'll maintain or rescind Trump's executive order that TikTok either be bought by U.S. interests or banned. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national popcorn day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another... Axios Recap.